When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Millions of Screens. I'm Kate producer Leo Garcia, joined as always via Zoom by Deputy Editor Ben Travers and Awards Editor Libby Hill. This, our hundredth episode of this podcast. Wow. Oh my gonna, gosh. And we're going to spend it talking only about last week's Emmys. Okay. It's Maybe okay, this can Libby. be a shorty. Yeah, it'll be a short <laughs> hour long podcast. I'm almost positive. Tight 60 minutes on <laughs> a three-hour ceremony. Tight 60. Much, much like the comedy bits at the Emmys, we're probably going to go long. <laughs> oh, that was a good one, Leo. This is a millions and millions of little screens. Can't you shut up? I'm busy. Boy, what a great show. Skipping ahead to the clicker, no clicker. We're just talking Emmys on this episode. Uh... I don't want to make you guys regurgitate everything you've written since Sunday. Which is most of it. Yes, but top line, do we want to talk about the show first? The show itself. Not even winners, losers, snubs, surprises. The actual telecast. Ben, Libby, what were your favorite moments? And maybe not so favorite moments. Were there favorite moments? What do award shows need to do to change? Oh, that's a great question. That I'm going to leave for Libby because I know she has answers. Um, But I will say that (laughs) I will say I will say uh, that from a a highlight standpoint, I think honestly, most of my favorite stuff happened right up top. That opening number when they just came out and started singing like uh, a new version of Just a Friend by Biz Marquis, um, that worked. Like, I don't think it should have worked. I think it's very obvious. I think it's a very easy thing to do, to be honest with you, to try to get you know people excited and riled up and raise the energy in the room. Um, but considering you know how close people were together, like that they were all stationed at tables, that it wasn't like you know they didn't have people awkwardly sitting in theater seats, not knowing like should I get up and dance? Should I do anything? I just I'm just gonna sit here and be safe. It was like no no no, you can stand. We're gonna come through the crowd. Like we're gonna have a lot of movement. We're gonna get people up. Uh, all of that worked. I think sharing the mic worked really well. I think having like random nominees and people in the audience, you know, uh, Rita Wilson even doing, yeah, well, she did a lot more than just a little, she really <laughs> went for it, but like having those even brief snippets of people like contribute to the song, uh, really worked. And then I, you could feel that energy carry itself over into those first few winners when, you know, Hannah won, Hannah Waddingham for, for Ted Lasso won and Brett Goldstein won a uh, friend of the pod for Ted Lasso as well. Um, both friends both of them both friends of the absolutely pod. i apologize you are correct um do that every time every, you forget i don't understand Look, no actually we i'm just really bad at friend of the pod i call people who talk, aren't friend of the pod friend of the pod and then i we didn't forget. talk to a lot of people in phase two but everyone we talked to that was not competing against someone else in that category won an emmy on sunday we got we got him a bump that's uh, the only real way to only real way to interpret it. that return on investment um, but yeah, those that that early part of the show worked very well, and then as soon as they kind of started reverting back to, okay, well now we'll do the monologue, which didn't really work, and now we'll do some bits, which didn't really work. 
those parts of the telecast again like to me this was a cbs broadcast this was going this was always going to be broad it was always going to cater to uh, a certain audience of a certain age and it did that even more than they ever could have possibly imagined or arranged on their own thanks to the eventual winners but yeah like it it felt like a cbs show it felt like the kind of comedy that i'd get on cbs it felt like the kind of uh general atmosphere that i'd get on cbs again once things settled down um so yeah i i it's not there, for me but ben, it's was not there too for much me. then was there was there too much the neighborhood oh my god they brought they had so much neighborhood and no max greenfield which again is why it clearly wasn't for me because for me max would have been there and they were like no we don't even need max cbs i think I will give them what little credit I can. I I do feel like this show was um, sort of tailor-made to push back against that CBS uh, whiteness by having a lot of of, um, people of color involved with presenting, with obviously the opening rap by Bismarck Key, but there is just a, a suffocating whiteness about CBS. And unfortunately this year about the Emmys winners. Um, but all of the humor is still cloaked in that very like 1988 sitcom humor, with, like with sitcom husbands and sitcom wives. And mm-hmm. it was just a very strange energy on the show. And I say that as someone who's probably only saw 15% of the show because I was busy with other things yeah. I had to to skip back and forth um between but it was a weird the vibe felt weird um it started so so well uh with that opening number I was actually also amused by Seth Rogen's off the cuff um <laughs> concerns about them all being gathered in the tent as safe as I know it was uh, apparently uh, that was uh people did not like that I thought yeah. that was actually okay well, well the producers seemed like to like it. it. Right. <laughs> okay. Producers okay. <laughs> did not like it. <laughs> yeah. Because it was inaccurate. Uh, because the. And because they rehearsed. So like that was, that was completely off the cuff. Seth Rogen. Uh, so I mean, like, I can they see didn't, his concern had... though. Sure. sure. But, yeah, I, 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 and yeah. here's the thing. I actually think, I think uh, from, from a comedic perspective, if, if you don't call that out, especially up top, like, I don't think he's sort of wrong to do that. Cause like, Otherwise, the whole thing is another like French laundry esque like hypocrisy. Like, look at the Hollywood elite. They can why can they get together in a big room together? So like him sort of calling out and saying like, this is strange and weird and whatever. And, and maybe I'm reading too much into it. And I understand that they had rigorous testing and that you had to test negative in order to get in and, and, and whatnot. But it is still someone saying something is probably better than no one saying something. And it just sort of sitting out there is like a, well, this is, this seems like a double standard style thing. I think so too. I I think it, um, it's that self-referential thing as opposed to, again, as I like to mention that Judd Apatow, uh, DGA hosting gig where he jokes about his house being bigger than the one in, in um, Parasite. This is one where I think, I, I think uh, Seth Rogen's probably a, a, a nervous-ish person, as I am. And I think that, 
you know, you can tell me everyone's been tested. You can tell me, you know, it's okay not to have masks on. You can tell me everyone's been vaccinated. But when I'm standing on a stage uh, surrounded by people uh, in, a, in a situation I haven't been in in well over a year, there is part of me that's going to be like, oh, God, have I made a huge mistake? Like, how could this possibly be okay after the last two years we've been living? Um, but yeah, I can see why that would not play as well with the producers who did comply with all of the COVID guidelines for LA County. We're actually more stringent than, um, than, than the guidelines needed to be for the space they were in. So I can see how, you know, you would watch Rogan's speech and take that, uh, at its word, but also he's a comedian and yes, you, you, are acknowledging something that people at audiences, our audience at homes are definitely wondering about where they're looking at that room and being like, wow, that's a lot of people very close together sitting inside, acknowledging that is good. But you could see in the telecast how panicked they were, like the producers and CBS were as soon as he'd said it, because the next thing that happened was DJ Reggie Watts was telling the audience about like before the first commercial break, instead of like talking about what was coming up or anything, he was just saying like, no, 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 health and safety protocols. Like we all followed the stuff. Like everybody's been tested. The first thing that Cedric said in his monologue when they came back was everyone here is vaccinated. We checked all the vaccination cards. Like they really were trying to make up for what he'd said, but by that point it was almost too late. So I, I, you know, I'm, I thought it was funny. I thought it was a good question to ask. I don't know if it was the right way to do it. I definitely feel bad for the producers because, you know, they're just getting thrown under the bus. But all right, well, let's move on to what the show ostensibly was there to do, which was honor the four best shows of the year. (laughs) (laughs) So well said. uh, I guess TV's four networks. I'll say I'll say the five the five best shows of the year because Hacks won. Uh, the five best shows. So what would they be? They'd be Mayor, Queens, Queen Gambit, Hacks, Ted Lasso, and The Crown. And then last week tonight, if you want to include that as well as just dominating the category it has over the course of the past, you know, yeah. four four years. As Stephen Colbert said, thanks to last week tonight for not being in this category. Um. Yes, for for live comedy special. But outside of that, what did you think of the crop of winners? Much was made online about the fact that, like, you know, it seems like the Academy is only watching this small percentage of the shows or at least awarding this small percentage of show, shows that are out there. Uh, I would argue that some shows that probably deserve to be in the conversation aren't even nominated in, in some of these categories, which I think then leads to this weird thing where it's like, well, these five shows, it's got to be this one. Because there's some of the actual, like the Ethan Hawke scenario, where it's like Halston, because the good Lord Bird's not there. Right. Um, didn't watch that When show. you insist on nominating Cobra Kai and Emily in Paris in comedy series, yeah, it's going to seem like a real, not a huge leap to be like, okay, well, it's going to be Ted Lasso or Hacks, because c- fucking come on. Um yeah, yeah, like be, I, I want to say really quick, just before we get into it, your article that was like kind of the lessons of Emmy season had a bunch of really good numbers that we should probably cite at some point in, in terms of the winnowing that Leo is talking about. Um, but one of the things that I, I again, in in that respect, wanted to highlight was your restraint in that article for not linking to yourself when you had a line that said 
some very smart people for oh, a I very long to. time have been talking, have been talking about this forgot. for a while about how the TV Academy isn't watching enough TV, how they ha- how the you know the the voting hasn't kind of adjusted to adapt to the peak TV era. Um, and I was just like, I was editing that piece and I was looking at that line. I was like, I really want to link to Livy's old stuff because she's been writing about this for years now. Oh, and if I link it, then it's going to look like she linked it herself. And then that's I not meant what she wanted. To. So I'm not I do just it. was so irritated with the piece. By the time I got done writing it, I forgot to go in and link to myself. So you understand as my editor, uh, at this point, you understand the spirit of my writing. So I'm very glad that you, because that was absolutely what my intent was. I, I, It was a way of saying, I have been saying for a long time that the Academy is not watching enough. They are watching what they watch. They are voting for what they watch. And, and that, it, I mean, the problem that people are talking about with awarding the same five shows, and that's not a phase two problem, that's a phase one problem. Um, If we aren't diversifying the vote in phase one, um, then when we come to that very small group of nominees, then, then, I mean, this is the inevitable result. And, and it was, Um, that's why I think the TV Academy needs to look into implementing some sort of like, uh, some sort of tier system where you have a a peer group go through and and like narrow the field like taking it down to 30 some of the best shows on tv like it's a it's it's like the peabody does you know you have to go through you have to experience a certain amount of these shows and then you move them on to another level and then the emmy voters across the board will vote from that pool um something like that obviously i don't know the solution but it can't go on like this um and that that was something i had thoughts on uh with regards to you heard a lot and it was very upsetting when all of sunday night's acting winners were white um we had a just a, a profoundly diverse field of nominees um but again when when they're kind of when when you it feels as though the TV Academy voters are block voting, um, this is what happens. You can't block vote for a show about the royal family and not end up with a bunch of white winners. Um, yeah, and I think to your point too, it, it speaks to the the type of voting, like to the system in place. Because when you're in that phase one voting, you can be as inclusive as you want because you can literally check as many boxes as you want. You're not forced into choosing only five or six people. You can, you can vote for as many people and as many programs as you want in most of the categories. But when it comes down to selecting the winners, that's when each person is going to think back to what they actually saw. So, you know, for me, the underground railroad, not getting any casting nominations kind of speaks to the idea that they weren't familiar with those names because they didn't watch the show. And then the fact that it didn't win anything was because, well, we watched the other limited series nominees. So we don't feel the need to vote for this thing that we didn't watch. Like, I understand that it's good. I believe that it's good, but I didn't get around to it because I didn't have to. And, you know, now we're going to check the box for the Queen's Gambit or Mayor of Easttown again, because those are the two things we made time for. So yeah, I I completely agree. But I, I, I think that pointing out the like the kind of peculiar peculiar system in place that can almost deceive us into thinking, you know, there is 
a diversity in what's being watched. Like a, there is like yeah. a lot of things being consumed by the Academy members. That's not necessarily true. Right. Right. And that's a huge problem. And, and it feels like it's getting worse the more TV we have, um, which is a problem. We are not actually, I, I, I truly believe this. We are not going to get to a point where we have less TV to watch or less TV to choose from. Like, this is how it's going to be. And um, yeah, if we, we don't find a way to expand upon that, then, then the Emmys are, are going to not do what they're supposed to do, which is, you know, celebrate the best and, and the brightest of, of, of TV. So, which is why it's so great that Netflix won its first two major series awards mm-hmm. in the year of a pandemic. Because I really, technically last year, a lot of the stuff they were competing against debuted before the pandemics, so like succession made its run, you know, well before the pandemic started and then people could catch up if they wanted to. And then that obviously worked out fine for succession, but this is the first full year of a pandemic. And we've talked about it before as well, when it comes to just being seen and getting onto the ballot and, and getting into those nominations, let alone winning Netflix is such a useful tool. And because people can just watch it from anywhere they can watch it on their phone they can watch it on a computer they can watch it on the tv it's very accessible it's what people are used to using and more shows get seen through that platform so it makes perfect sense to me that this was the year that yeah sure now we're going to reward the crown because that's all we've used to watch tv we just watched a bunch of netflix stuff and clearly that's the best drama on netflix so done well yeah i mean this is that's the thing right is that netflix the Netflix bump is a thing. Netflix was very, uh, was a great tool to get underseen cable dramas seen by people after the fact. Um, it, it likely played a large role in Breaking Bad, um, uh, growing its popularity, growing its popularity with the Emmys. Um, so it only makes sense that in a year where we had less new content than ever, then Netflix, who always does very, very well at the nominations because they have more content than anyone else, was able to translate that uh, at the actual Emmy Awards into wins in, uh, when generally they, they fall short on, on Emmy night proper. Um, it's good. I, I'm glad they did it. I'm very interested to see how these things play out then once we get back to some semblance of normal. Um, it did Next not... It's going to be brutal. Oh, yeah. I know. I, I hate it already. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I hate gonna... it, but I love it. I would much rather have an Emmy season with a, a full-fledged ballot of contenders as opposed to feeling like it was kind of a... Um, replacement players here maybe or a shortened season or you know I was, yeah, did I was the Dodgers say, really win the world series and did the crown really win best drama that's the question we're always gonna ask. I did not say those words but you did and I will just say that's that's a really interesting point and really uh, something to think about asterisk I mean I was gonna, I was gonna say that we really buried the lead on the fact that Netflix won uh the most uh Emmys uh or tied for the most ever Emmy victories over the course of uh, both the Creative Arts Emmys and the Primetime Emmys, and did, as Ben just mentioned, uh, take home the two two of the t- what I would argue the two two of the top three prizes in terms of comedy, drama, and limited series. 
neither really a surprise. It was sort of, I, I think you wrote something along these lines, Libby, that like the show as a whole was like surprisingly unsurprising. Yeah, it was not surprising at all, but it was weird. Yes. Well, if there was a if there was a surprise, and not to bring it back to Friends of the Pod, that that middle section, which was presented by another show that likely benefited from Netflix's presence, Schitt's Creek, which won all of its which swept the comedy awards last uh, last year, uh, doing their extended teleprompter bit. I thought that was funny. I don't like Schitt's Creek, but I was amused by that. I thought they were very cute. And I, I had an sorry. opposite thought. My thought was, so this is what it's like to have to watch Schitt's Creek. That was my thought. Um, I lean more toward Leo, though. I did laugh in the second half of it when they stopped giving Eugene Levy lines yeah. and he called it out like that. Actually, I was like, OK, that's a step up. So I'm going to go with it. I Here's... think Eugene Le- Levy is very, very funny. And, yeah, and- I, oh, I, I agree. Well, Tangent time. Three of those people are very fun. Here's a tangent. Here's a tangent that we may or may not include in the podcast. The main thing with the telecast and all comedy bits that they have to be shorter. Oh yeah. Everything has to be shorter. That 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 thing of that that uh, support group about Emmy Emmy nominees but not winners. That might have done well if it's shorter and doesn't include Dr. Phil. Like I, I think like. The well, Fred Savage. Shorter, it doesn't include Dr. Phil, you know. If it's short, but also like even everyone's like little section, like even the Scott Bakula section was too long. Everything is just like everything is too long. And I don't understand how like brevity is like legitimately what you want in comedy. You want you want to don't want something to outlive its usefulness. You don't want a joke to like get stale. What's next? What's next? What's next? And it's just crazy that everything is so slow. Sorry. Sorry, sorry, Leo. Um are you suggesting that the TV Academy doesn't understand and or appreciate comedy? Well, I do think they awarded the best comedy that was nominated in most cases. Right. And I, I think, I think, the, I think the awards that were given out for comedy acting and writing, directing and show were all well earned and deserved. I will say that to Leo's point, the person who stole the night, often wasn't even on screen. And that was Conan O'Brien. Just he, heard him yelling. <laughs> you just heard him yelling off screen and you're like, what the fuck is going on? And then when you eventually found him, you're like, oh, this is really funny. He's he's not actually heckling, but kind of looks like he's heckling the president of the Television Academy. Then uh, there was the, the great bit when uh, John Oliver was talking about him from the stage and made a note about how he didn't actually win anything. And Conan went from like being really happy to really sad. And the late night writer just handed her Emmy that she just won across the table to him. And it's like, oh, this is great. Look at this guy just like filling the background and being the comic voice. And then finally he went on stage with Stephen Colbert and wasn't even acknowledged really by Colbert during the speech. Um, it, he just, he just kept saying really he kept saying that most of the people behind me worked <laughs> exactly. on the show. <laughs> yeah, no, no name drop for Conan. And you know, that worked great. And like to me, that that kind of speaks to the idea that again, like the I mean, always those kind of unplanned, unrehearsed, you know, natural moments that exist within a ceremony can either be really exciting because they flop horribly or because they succeed, like Conan did in my mind. Um but also, yeah, exactly. Like the bits that they planned were so long and that they didn't work. 
and that we don't need to talk about them because I can't even remember them that well, because that's how badly they didn't work. But I remember Conan like off camera chant, like yelling at the TV press. It's like, yeah, just, you got to understand it. Like you got to know what you're working with and you got to try to, you know, lean in. But also, also that those are the actions of a man who has nothing left to lose. But God damn it, Leo, that's exactly what I want to watch on TV. I want to watch live TV filled with people who've got nothing left to I know, lose. I know, but Bowen, I Bowen, Bowen like Yang, reality TV more. Bowen Yang is going to go do whatever bit they scripted for him or he thought of himself of getting 10,000 steps and it's going to take way too long. But Bowen Yang is new in the industry and has to play the game. And if he wants to be in more things, he's got to, he can't start ruffling feathers now. No, I'm not, I'm not by being mad like, at I want to do this thing. I don't blame the presenters for the bad bits. I blame the writers and the producers okay. and CBS in general for encouraging that type of comedy. So if I can, Bones fine. I mean, we can do, we can do a whole, I feel like we could talk a whole hour about like, how do you fix award shows? And like, it's impossible to script what is essentially an improvised moment, like, or moments like what Conan did. But I think I'd way rather that kind of energy be brought to an award show than like, Kate Winslet wins and you cut to Connor O'Malley, who is A.D. Bryant's date. And he is just like, like dejectedly clapping. He's like, first of all, director, why are you cutting to that table when she <laughs> wins? But then like there were so many times when they cut to Connor O'Malley, who I assume was probably loving the shit that Conan was doing. But like they cut to him at all the wrong moments and he seemed bored from a a broader standpoint. Like, again, you can't choose the winners, but you can choose everybody else. So choose people who are going to add that level of energy to the show. Like I, I know the producers were really mad at Seth Rogen about what he said, but the energy of what he said was right on point. And having that kind of person step in to start off the show after that thing happened is exactly the right idea. Bringing in those people who can be funny, who can read a room, who can understand the situation as they're, as it's presented to them kind of live like that is much more valuable than just kind of, parading people who read from a script and aren't that excited to be there or don't really have any relevancy to what's going on or aren't that tied into it. Um, so yeah, again, I'm sorry. This is starting down the road of an hour long podcast, telling them how to redo the award show, but that is something to keep well, in what? mind. Well, here's, we got way off track. Sorry. Still, I don't know. I don't even know. Well, I think I, I blame myself. Cause I, I, I my was tangent coming. was my tangent was on uh, shorter bits and energy, but for the most part, it seems like they got comedy right. Like, but the surprise was in that middle section with Hacks winning for writing and directing. When that, when that happened, it seemed like to inject some energy back into the show. It's like, it's not going to be all Ted Lasso. It's not going to be all the crown. Well, Mayor, Mayor, had, Mayor Queen's Gambit had already started starting to split their awards but yeah it, it at least was like oh this was not completely expected but again friends of the pod friends of the pod uh yeah that was that was great the, the thing about a thing that people who aren't necessarily died heart shits creek fans will tell you about last year is that last year was terrible um it wasn't terrible but last year's emmys uh was so off balance. The show began with all of the comedy awards almost nearly. So it was just like a straight run of Shit's Creek and it sapped so much of the energy from the show. Um, if you don't like Shit's Creek, if you were indifferent to Shit's Creek, if you just wanted to, you know, know there were other comedies on TV, 
uh, it was a real bummer. And as much as I love Tad Lasso, it was not the only comedy on TV last year. It wasn't the only good freshman comedy on TV last year. And so while I suspect that the reason we got the hacks section of the Emmys on Sunday is because of a little missubmission ballot madness, um, I appreciate it because it would have been really easy to give six of those seven awards to Ted Lasso. And, and number one, the show doesn't deserve that the backlash that would kind of inevitably hit it if it did do that. Um, because it's one thing for a show that's ending. It's one thing for a show to do that in its final season. It's another thing for a show to do that in its first season. And that feels like the kiss of death. But yeah, it, it's just, it was a, it was, a, it was a delight to see Hacks uh, recognized in that section because it was a great, it was a good show. It was, uh, the writing and direction was great. Gene Smart was impeccable. And um, it's at this point a relief when two shows win all of the awards as opposed to one show. Like, I'm upset that, you know, Queen's Gambit and Mayor of Easttown basically split the awards, but so relieved that, you know, Michaela Cole got in there with I May Destroy You. Like, um, it's sad that there is such a relief in in shows not sweeping now because I feel like that is something we are moving closer and closer to. And if Succession sweeps the entirety of drama next year, I hope that none of you will throw this up in my face. Thank you. Well, that's the only good show on TV. So we couldn't be, com- we couldn't be upset about that. No, that would just thank be, you. thank you. you know them doing the right thing yeah Uh, i wouldn't i wouldn't be me if i didn't remind you all of the podcast episode we did after schitt's creek swept the emmys last year and i said if uh schitt's creek is the show the emmys love uh ted lasso is going to win best comedy uh at next year's emmys and it it did yeah and it did did uh yeah rube strikes again why do (laughs) why do we even do the emmys just have me do it for you guys I it was way it better it. than Shit's Creek is the <laughs> that, thing. And I think I, that was the yeah, concern at that I point. I didn't, well, no, I think my, my thought on it was simultaneously, and I think I live in this world where I think Ted Lasso is much better than most people think it is, the show that people think it is. I don't think it's the greatest comedy of all time. I don't, I don't like think. Like Creek is. Like Shit's Creek Based is. on last year. But I, I do think that like I, I'm I was like, if this is the wavelength of show they're going after, Ted Lasso is like a slightly better version of that. So the Emmys are going to love it. It doesn't do it's not too edgy or rough or it doesn't delve into, uh, I don't know, doesn't get too slapsticky or whatever. Like it's like it's in this world that Shit's Creek lives in where it's like it's it's a thing that exists. And Ted Lasso is kind of also in that world. I do think it's better written. But I was like, if they like this, then this is like a A plus version of that. They're going to give this thing the awards too. But like what we do in the shadows wouldn't show up and win. Maybe though. I don't think. Maybe next year. Come on, well, what we do in the shadows. You got it. You I got the, the momentum. The problem is. This or the other two. Season sometimes two. Sometimes the TV Academy <laughs> surprises us. And it's the worst thing that can happen because sometimes they surprise us by getting it right. Uh, I will give to you last year's drama and limited series races. They really embraced Succession. They really embraced Watchmen. And that made me believe, you know what? They can grow. They can change. They can, they can, 
see more challenging material and respect when it's it's kind of blowing things out. But by the time the nominations came around, it was sort of clear that they were not on that wavelength. I will point you in the direction of Underground Railroad to see how that played out. But um, yeah, with comedy, if there's one thing that can be said about the TV Academy's choice in comedy is that if you can make well, no, I can't even say that because it's not like they ever embraced Parks and Rec or, I mean, really embraced it. Like, I just can't, I I just, I cannot get a beat on them. And maybe that makes me terrible at my job, but like, Leo, you nailed it. And like, uh, and, and, and you were smart to do so because this year was much gone more to Vegas. An, yeah. Put no, it all on Ted Lasso. This year is much more an amalgamation of last year than I think people anticipated it and people really needed comfort this year maybe more than even last year um well I do I also think that the timing is a big factor here yeah like I mean Schitt's Creek was in its final season it was riding the Netflix wave like there'd been a bunch of people who finally caught up with it and were like oh man we've really slept on this show for the past five years we better pick up the pace but that urgency also you know could be seen on the other side of things like last year in in mid 2020 we were going through you know a ton of protests across the country that really you know sparked to the cause of rallying behind something like Watchmen and I really think that this year the thing that sparked people around the crown was the Prince Harry interview with Oprah like all those kind of things it's just there's a lot of things that kind of push people toward shows and the Ted, the Schitt's Creek to Ted Lasso beeline, uh, direct the baton, the baton. baton pass, yes, uh, makes perfect sense in terms of the fact that we're still stuck in that place where we want our comedies to be comforting and we want them to be rewarding and we want them to make us feel better. Um, and again, that's not all that Ted Lasso is. I, I, Ted Lasso is much more dimensional than that, but in the broad sense, I think that's where a lot of voters could just kind of get behind it. But when it came to the other shows this year, I think that, again, I I don't feel like, and this is a really sad thing to say, but I don't feel like out in the world today, there's the same kind of urgency around, uh, around diversity, around, around protests, around kind of revolution that there was a year ago. I feel like people are just kind of fed up with sitting inside at this point. And that's as far as it goes. Yeah. And I would stake my claim that Ted Lasso will win again next year. I just, I don't see anything right now that's going, that that seems to be of a caliber to knock it out from being the Emmy's favorite comedy. But the one thing that's really fun about next year's comedy series, at least to me, is that, yeah, Ted Lasso will probably win. But if we have Ted Lasso and the nominations also include something like what we do in the shadows, as you mentioned, something like reservation dogs, which Libby loves and people are really getting behind and is now available to stream on Hulu. And hopefully that gives people enough time to catch up with it. You know, hacks, hopefully we'll be back and we can be talking about hacks. Only murders. Um, (laughs) <laughs> I'd love, but, love to see only murders in the building. Um, Barry, the other two, Curb, like Barry, oh yeah, Barry. Curb, like we should have a really stacked list of comedy contenders. So as opposed to this year, where we're complaining about the fact that they let two things in that really weren't good enough at all, like it's just that's just unacceptable. I think next year we're going to be really upset because something has to be shut out. Like there just won't be enough room for eight that everyone can agree is like, that's really good comedy. So at least there's that. Like I'd much rather be mad about that than the other way around. So guys, podcast confession time. 
It's been so long since Barry has been on the air. I forgot Barry is still a show that exists. Oh, sure. Absolutely. The fact that they missed their filming window pre-pandemic, like that everything was that they didn't get that that season in pre-pandemic. I told you all guys that I was at the fucking. You were at one of the Guild Awards. Yeah. And I was it was it was in jail with a bunch of with with no January. It it was January 2020. And you were like, they got a. They got it. They should be filming yeah. it or like what's going on? Like they have to like you have to get you start delivery in that season in March yeah. or whatever. Yeah. yeah. It's like they have not done that and they no. missed that window. And now it's going to be like it's going to be feel like three years until we it's get back. It's going to be three years. Leo. It's, it's been two be and a half years. right now. It has been three years for Atlanta, which I take back. will be back. I take back. Ted Lasso might not win, but I and think also the three year the three years might yeah. hurt. Three years might hurt Barry. And to, and so I do think Ted Lasso is still a front runner. Shit's pretty wild. I can't wait for next year's comedy race. Like I I mean, honestly, just Ted Lasso versus Barry is gonna be outstanding because both Jason Stegas and Bill Hader will be like, vote for the other guy. And that's all I want out of my comedy. Like it'll be so fun. That'll be great. All right. Well, we well, talked I about comedy a bunch. Point. And I mean, and, and Libby, you mentioned that like them the Emmys on a whole don't really recognize comedy. We talked about that last week on the podcast. But let's talk about limited series and drama a little bit where Netflix did win the two top prizes. Uh, This is where I think a lot of the snubs live. Uh, I think the big one, and I can have you speak to it, is uh, Tobias Menzies winning for supporting actor in a drama for Prince Philip, as opposed to posthumously awarding Michael K. Williams for right. Lovecraft Country, which was the favorite on Gold Derby. And it felt like that's what that was. That was trending that way even before he had passed away. So it's very strange to have seen. And I guess it was it's the rising tide that lifts all boats. It was a Schitt's Creek situation yeah. with the crown. Well, we should have known as soon as Claire Foy won the guest actress. Oh, I did. I just fair, fair, I fair. couldn't believe like I couldn't I didn't I, I, believe. But yeah, um, Tobias Menzies winning was disappointing in a lot of ways. And I say that as a Tobias Menzies fan who will uh, swear to you that he deserved nominations for uh, the first few seasons of Stars as Outlander. Um, The Emmys don't nominate stars. I I learned that. That's what the Rubis learned over the course of the past couple of years. They don't nominate (laughs) stars with a Z, but they'll nominate stars with an S. Stars with an S win. Stars with a Z. Park cars don't even um, get don't even get nominated no yeah that's oh god that's so depressing but yeah him winning was such a on the one hand i part of me thinks he won because he showed up in the right category uh last year i believe he was running lead actor i don't believe he was even nominated this year they swapped o'connor and menzies um in lead and supporting and it paid off quite handsomely for them both obviously both won the emmys in their respective categories and i'll even say this i enjoy menzies's philip on the crown um i think he is very uh, dry and amusing and um his discussion with olivia coleman as the queen about uh having a favorite child was one of my uh low-key uh, favorite moments on tv in the last year but also uh it's michael k williams and while i want to be really upset about that i also understand that michael k williams death came after the close of emmy voting 
Um, and I think what we saw there is that people went to their ballots and they just they just voted straight ticket crown. I think the other surprise there is that Olivia Coleman beat out Emma Corrin, who was who had come to a point where she was the front runner. And and as as um, Olivia said herself, she wouldn't have put money on this happening um, because as we spoke about several weeks ago, like this was going to be their one chance to award Coleman for this. And we thought that they had forgotten that they hadn't. And it turns out they remembered. It wasn't so, their one. It wasn't their one chance. It was their, was their last chance. Last right, chance. Right. Yeah. Right. I was, I was trying to remember if I went on that rant or not, where I was just like, did I talk about how yeah, it doesn't make did. sense to me that Coleman isn't the front runner? Because no. I mean, I know that this is the, the season about Prince Harry and, and Princess Diana, future Princess Diana. But uh, I was just like, you did go on that rant. It is in the podcast. Right. Coleman. But I would, but I would recall I would argue that, you know, if we're talking about showy, um, the corn had the showier role this season. Um, this season was all about uh outsiders trying to breach that wall of the royal family. And so it was very much as 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 less centered as the show can be around the queen. Um, but yeah, we were all wrong and by that all wrong i mean you know gold derby's odds were wrong on that it was wrong on um on michael k williams and menzies uh it's almost as though they aren't a reliable source of what's going to happen because none of very very few of the gold derby uh participants experts or otherwise are actual emmy voters well i would be remiss if i didn't shout out very quickly the clearly the biggest snub of the night the most upsetting thing that happened uh actually okay it was my okay williams losing because jesus christ but uh katherine hahn losing in sporting actress i think julian nicholson is fantastic i think she delivered an incredible role um but as we talked about briefly in slack off pod I think that this is a comedy bias problem. I think that the talents exhibited by Catherine Hahn and WandaVision in adapting to each of those sitcom environments and playing to the camera on a lot of different occasions and building up that character are typically things like typically traits that are assigned to comedic acting performances. And she was competing against dramatic, very, very dramatic acting performances and she lost. And I think that Again, to me, it's it's just kind of a shame that we had an opportunity not only to honor this person and honor this type of performance, but also to, again, further diversify the limited series wins, even if it meant WandaVision being the third one to win during the primetime Emmys. So, Well, Ben, ben can I respond to the off-pod off slack? Because I Absolutely. think you, you mentioned I me. I that. You think, it, yeah, am, am I, I thought it was on the talk pod. But I, I think you I think you mentioned that like it was me doing exactly the thing that I rail against the drama versus comedy bias. Here's what I meant when I said Julianne Nicholson is doing more. I think legitimately Catherine Hahn is in not that much of WandaVision until she shows up in the last two episodes where it's like Agatha all along and she leads her on that like uh, ghosts of trauma's past quest. Yeah, you could make the same argument that, for Julianne. No, she's in more. She's in more of the series throughout. And, and I and I also think. They yeah, did have the scene on the eliminate. park bench. They're in the they're in the, the the first episode. They're hanging out back in the back of the basketball. She also goes over and drinks a beer at her house. I'm not going to re- count how many scenes they're all in. I mean, it, do- it just feels like Julianne Nixon is more, is more ever present in Mare. And then I think legitimately, I this is someone who loves Catherine Hahn. 
I would love if Catherine Hahn had, had gotten a guest actor spot for Parks and Rec. I think her Jennifer Barkley is like one of the funniest characters on sitcoms over the course of the past 15 years, whatever, like as a guest actor. I don't think what she's doing on WandaVision is revelatory in a way that sort of showcases who Catherine Hahn is and all the best aspects of Catherine Hahn. I mean, where you're talking to someone who legitimately thinks Catherine Hahn should have won was the best performance and should have won an Emmy for trans her work on Transparent. So like I think it's very strange that we're all super fans and just I think it says more about WandaVision than it says about yeah. Catherine Hahn. Yes. And that's and that's all I'm trying to say. Well, like, what worries I, I, me about that statement is now I'm going to hear from the Marvel people forever that there is still a superhero bias when it comes to the Emmys, even though they got 23 nominations, none of the actors won and it didn't win any of the majors. And honestly, I don't have a good argument against it anymore. So maybe there is. There is. I mean, there is. I there, there is. is there, um, it could just be banned. But Catherine's there's a great, Disney so Plus bias. There's a Disney Plus bias. Uh, there oh. is a populism that gets in they embrace these things they respect they respect the technical work on the mandalorian which is probably deserved they i don't know what happened with wandavision i don't understand how wandavision got so many awards i didn't think the effects were that good i know that the writing and the directing weren't good uh well, I I got three. huh Oh, you it mean nominations. nominations. Yeah, nominations. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know how it got 23 nominations. Um, Mandalorian is at least consistent. I think that maybe they don't know what to do with like the maybe they don't yet know what know what to do with the Disney Plus everything's a limited series model. I maybe they I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on there. I think there is a bias. No, I don't think there's a bias. I think it's just not very good. Uh, but that doesn't explain how it's getting 23 nominations. Yeah. Um, well, I think it's, I think they think it's good. I think that they just don't think it's as good as the Queen's Gambit and Mayor of Easttown. I think that part of that, that relates to the superhero bias of it all. But I still think that the recognition that they got with the nominations is them saying that they think it's good. And I think like the 23 nominations to me speaks to, okay, we recognize that the costumes, the lighting, the like all the effort that they put into meticulously recreating these sitcom right. universes we recognize that because we're yeah, production design like for sure yeah the aesthetics of the show and then right. the other parts of it just kind of carry over because it's the one show they watched as we talked about like they didn't watch that many shows so this is one of the ones that they watched and that everybody talked about and that every it was the first of the academy it was the first Disney plus show out the gate so it had all of the the sort of enter or, or, or first, first marvel, marvel disney plus sorry yeah. First Marvel Disney Plus show out the gate. So it had all this heat behind it when you when people are, so people watched it. Especially uh, and took people it in. in the industry. But then yeah. also that speaks to why somebody like Paul Bettany gets nominated for actor instead of Ethan Hawke, because if you watch both of those performances, it's very clear which one was more demanding, which one was just let's just say better for the sake of time. Um, but they didn't watch them both. So they want they just nominated the person that they watched. And I think that happened a lot in the primetime Emmys. And when it came down to it, I think for specific people, they just looked at it and were like, listen, uh, Kate Winslet's better than Elizabeth Olsen. Like I just responded to that more. So I'm just going to go with that. But I, I, I think that there is still a little bit of, of comedy versus drama bias when it comes to Catherine Hahn. I I'll agree with you that, that this is not her yeah, this is, this most is the extreme wrong... performance. This is yeah, not you're... the thing that's going to blow the doors off, but that's not the thing that the Academy likes either. So like they didn't nominate her for Parks and Rec very purposefully. This is yeah. the kind of thing that the Academy should have loved. 
because it did all of the little things really, really well. It had a big reveal. It had a song. She got to play a lot of multiple parts as well as pay homage to like classic sitcom characters, which was very, very difficult to do, which she had to do arguably more work on than the leads of the show. So like, I think that there is the bias of like, oh man, no, I remember that scene where Julianne Nicholson broke down in the kitchen. How can I not vote for that scene? Yeah. Instead of, I remember the scene where Cameron gave the big wink and sang the song and was really funny, but who cares? It's just funny. Who cares? I also think I'll bristle at the, uh, at calling WandaVision a comedy. I'm not calling it a comedy. I very specifically <laughs> said that her performance is more it's of a comedic. comedic it has comedic notes. Dramatic yes. performance. It has comedic, comedic elements. Yes. Okay, but I think the main takeaway from this is Catherine Hahn is great, and Catherine Hahn is great. Academy is bad. Yes. yes. Okay. We can all agree like, on like, that. I mean, I think that like that's what it. That's what matters. Here's my question, Ben. Hamilton, much to our dismay, I feel comfortable saying one uh, variety special pre-recorded at Sunday night's Emmys, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, it is entirely possible that that single award kept Netflix from breaking CBS's oh. 44 Boy. Wow. Emmy Awards in a single year. If you have to imagine it's that meme where you have to choose one button or the other. Do you choose inside Bo, Bo Burnham inside to win that award. And Netflix is the most successful network at the Emmys in a single year of all time. Or do you give Hamilton that award and, and keep Netflix tied with CBS? Also, it's only the award that kept them from that because it was the last one not awarded to them. Right. In terms of order. Well, no, I just think like I, th- <laughs> there I, were other awards that could have won that they didn't win. And actually not really like for that night. Um, yeah. Anya I, I mean, there was, but like going into it, I really, I thought at their, at their highest, like if they had a, an amazing night, they would tie. And that was me like being real skeptical about Menzies, but being real skeptical about some other things. Um, it, in truth, if Anya Taylor-Joy had won, um, this would also have happened. But I think that this was just this was just a very strange one. Hamilton only won one other award at the Creative Arts Emmys. Uh Bo Burnham inside won three. three. Yeah. Three. Um, and so it it really did seem like it had the edge. But like Ben, b- just because of all of the the weird uh feelings you have around a, a lot of these things, what well, what is your choice in that scenario? I think I would have picked. Netflix to get the solo award, like to have it to themselves. I think I would have picked Bo Burnham winning. Um, in the end, for as, as much as the networks and streaming services and everybody like to brag about all of the things that they accomplish and that they do, and and for for good reason. I mean, a lot of it, as we've talked about, comes down to promotion and just getting these things seen. So, like, they play a huge part in that. Um, I got to side with the creators first and foremost. So I think Bo winning that over something that doesn't belong in the category is more important. Uh, so I just, I, that's where I'm going to come down every time. You also, you that also are. Be. Yeah. Also, I don't want to uh, yuck anyone's yum, but there's also a chance there that Dave Chappelle wins for 846 and Netflix still gets the solo award. Actually, 846 went largely unrecognized. I really think that if someone else was going to win that category, it I was, was going to be Bo. 
No, I, I mean, I was betting on Bo. Bo was who I thought was going to win the category. But my second was Utopia, um, was David Byrne's Utopia. Also did pretty well at the Creative Arts Emmys. Um, and also yeah, those, those a, are the three. Those are the three I have highlighted right now. It's like Bo Burnham Inside, David Byrne's American Utopia and 846 by Dave Chappelle. I was just saying that Dave had Dave Chappelle won. Oh, Netflix no, also I mean, would have gotten it's the, they, it's it's the Anya Taylor Joy thing again. No, like yeah. I know this is just uh, my dumb hypothetical because. Well, no, I'm just saying and the Emmys love to award Dave Chappelle. Uh, so clearly, yeah, there's a chance that yeah. could have happened. Well, Dave Chappelle did win for snl guest actor so like he was still recognized they just the, didn't decide to do it for that one um, uh people of color did very well at the creative arts emmys uh in the acting categories so look to see those in the prime time special next year <laughs> yeah uh but no yeah I, I i think david burns american utopia was fucked as soon as spike lee lost directing it was just like and i don't think it's gonna win anything if he can't win so um, yeah. yeah, but no, I, I mean, again, ask me in a, a a different state when I'm all riled up against Netflix for whatever recent atrocity they've committed. Um, I might switch my vote, but for now, I'll stay with. Yeah, Who's winning make next your year? predicts for next year, Leo. Who's like... winning next year? <laughs> Why do I? We're not saying shit, Leo. You just tell us. Succession's going to win drama. Great. Easy. I think Ted Lasso's going to win <laughs> comedy. Uh, and I have no idea what the limited series are that are current that I would need to look at a I would need to look at a schedule and see what's being released. White uh, Lotus, is it gonna have a shot? Unfortunately, yes. Um but I I'll have to look I have to look at the complete list to like before I weigh in. But I got um, two out of three. That's pretty good. See. What contenders are we gonna I mean, yeah, picking succession for to win drama series is a real leap. Um, I'm just saying, you told me to predict things. We did. Yeah, he's, he's know, going, going. Can't be mad that I picked the things I'm that are probably going like... to win. Millions of Screens is a production of the Penske Media Corporation and New Wire. Our theme music features excerpts of the classic YouTube video Bjork Talking Mario TV and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Our editor in chief is Dana Harris Brightson. Our publisher is James Israel. And our executive editor is DVD. Some shows and roles Catherine Hunt should have won an Emmy for include E. Fletcher. On Mrs. Fletcher. Absolutely. Chris Krause on I Love Dick. That's Definitely. a Ben, that's probably a Ben Travers pick there. Uh, Raquel Fine on Transparent. And Millions of Screens strongly endorses the Academy to go back and reward Catherine Hahn for her role as Jennifer Barkley on Parks and Recreation. You can find us on Twitter at a million screens at Midwest Pitfire at Ben T. Travers and Leonard Garcia. You can find us on Apple Podcasts podcast spotify google play and anywhere else you find podcasts so leave a review and let us know what you think we're 100 episodes in tell us what we're still doing right or wrong this has been libby and leo remind you as always that you shouldn't let poets lie to you You shouldn't let poets lie to you. Ain't nothing wrong with a couple of cold brews and a cool podcast. <laughs> <laughs>